Hey everyone, this is another episode of the Logos Soup Daily Podcast. Today I'll be analyzing a poem that I found on r slash salvia on Reddit. It's titled My Father's Watch and it's written by John Ciardi. John Ciardi was a nationally recognized airman, poet, and etymologist. In addition to his poems, he was a scholar of Dante's Divine Comedy and Italian, and he wrote one of the most acclaimed translations translations of the trilogy in history. This this poem in particular is a very surreal and phenomenological narrative. Based on the title, My Father's Watch, you can immediately expect to see a Freudian superego motif. As you'll see, the term watch is a pun, referring to both the setting of the poem the extended metaphor of a, of a wristwatch, and a reference to the judgment of a patriarch, be it a literal father or God as an abstracted cosmic figure, as Sigmund Freud described. Anyway, I'm going to read through the poem once and then go stanza by stanza and analyzing it. One night I dreamed I was locked in my father's watch, with Ptolemy and 21 ruby stars mounted on spheres and the prima mobile coiled and gleaming at the end of space and the notched spheres eating each each other's rinds to the last tooth of time and the case closed. What dawns and sunsets clattered from the conveyor over my head and while the ruby stars whirled rosettes about their golden poles, Man, what a show, I cried. Infinite order. Ptolemy sang, The miracle of things, wound endlessly to the first energy from which all matter quickened and took place. What makes it shine so bright? I leaned across fast between two teeth and touched the mainspring. At once all hell broke loose. Over our heads, squadrons of bands sawed, ripped at one another, and broken teeth spewed meteors of flak from the red stars. You couldn't dream that din. I broke and ran past something into somewhere, beyond a glimpse of Ptolemy split open, and woke on a numbered dial, where two black swords spun under a crystal dome. There, looking up in one flash as the two swords closed in and came, I saw my father's face frown through the glass. Okay, now let's hear stanza one again. One night I dreamed I was locked in my father's watch with Ptolemy and 21 ruby stars mounted on spheres and the prima mobile coiled and gleaming at the end of space and the notched spheres eating each other's rinds to the last tooth of time and the case closed. The first stanza establishes a dreamlike setting. We have an enclosed system in which the speaker is locked in. And within the system, you have two characters, a conscious speaker and the second century mathematician Claudius Ptolemy. Now, this illusion is very important considering Ptolemy's work. The mathematician discussed the concept of the prima mobile, which he described as the outermost sphere of reality. The prima mobile moved in relation to a geocentric model of the earth. And just like in the flat earth conspiracy theory, the speaker is describing a phenomenological view of reality. The the speaker is living in an enclosed world. And when he looks 
to the sky, he sees a world of heavenly bodies that move above him. He doesn't see his world moving. He sees this domain above him, this prima mobile moving. And these heavenly bodies that one would see when he looks up are the 21 ruby stars that are literal models, literal uh, embezzlements on a watch. Now, clearly, this model of reality is not correct, and we know that thanks to empirical science, but the speaker's psychological, mythological view has a certain level of truth and life to it, and this is still the view that this character Ptolemy is living in, which we'll later see how it collapses and the chaos that ensues. Now, another important allusion in this is Ptolemy's idea of the prima mobile and its reference to Dante's Divine Comedy, which John Ciardi was so intimately familiar with. The prima mobile is the ninth of ten levels of heaven, or or otherwise called paradisio. This idea is going to come back at the end of the poem, but an important parallel to note is that just as a speaker of the poem is accompanied by Ptolemy, Dante's character was led through the inferno by the poet Virgil. All right, so in stanza one, we have a phenomenological setting, a hero that has begun narrating his personal experience and a wise old man ripped out of history and placed into this watch. Stanza two. What dawns and sunsets clattered from the conveyor over my head, and while the ruby stars whirled rosettes about their golden poles. Man, what a show, I cried. Infinite order. Ptolemy sang the miracle of things, wound endlessly to the first energy from which all matter quickened and took place. In this stanza, the speaker observes the alleged infinite order of reality. He marvels at the geocentric, the geometric patterns of the moving ru- ruby embezzlements. And Ptolemy agrees with the speaker, affirming the idea that he's living in a world of divine order. This articulation, this marveling at the orderliness of an intelligently designed world was the basis of the science of Ptolemy's time. They described that they believed that everything was mathematically designed by God the Father and that every scientific inquiry would sharpen mankind's understanding of reality and affirm what's described in the Christian Bible. Obviously, science destroyed the worldview of Ptolemy's time. The geocentric earth was disproven, and our culture found itself vying to create a new model of the world, and eventually we arrived at today's model of an infinite, ever-expanding cosmos, Stanza three, what makes it shine so bright? I leaned across fast between two teeth and touched the main spring. At once all hell broke loose. Over our heads, squadrons of bandsaws ripped at one another, and broken teeth spewed meteors of flak from the red stars. What I like about this stanza is how quickly the delusion of order collapses and turns into chaos. According to the phenomenology of the story, this is a very interesting reflection of the law of thermodynamics. They're all enclosed in this 
this system. It's a, it's a closed system. And as thermodynamic states, the entropy and chaos of a closed system will always increase over time. You even see this in a real world literal sense in watches. If you ever have a mechanical watch, you'll, you'll know that you need to readjust it every now and then because the watch slowly loses time and becomes several minutes off. Stanza four. You couldn't dream that din. I broke and ran past some something into somewhere beyond the glimpse of Ptolemy split open and woke on a numbered dial where two black swords spun under a crystal dome. There, looking up, in one flash, as the two swords closed and came, I saw my father's face frown through the glass. So by the end of the poem, the father looks at the speaker with his judgmental gaze. He exists outside the closed system, and he's angry that the speaker wrecked this illusion of order that he had created. Perhaps it's because the father, in a Christian sense, is explicitly described as a strict but benevolent father. Like what happened when Adam ate of the fruit of knowledge and discovered his own nakedness and discovered death. God saw the speaker, saw the devastation that the speaker brought upon himself through his curiosity, and he sees it as a tragedy. But you can also take this in a Freudian sense, which alludes to the idea that an all-powerful Christian God is merely a delusion. Freud argues that what Christians call God is really the superego, discovering that a person's father is not actually a perfect moral emblem. And then by avoiding that reality, the person projects the superego into an all-powerful cosmic father that lives beyond space and time. In this narrative, the superego living beyond the domain of the ego gives no consolation and is too illusory to create order, to create a new order when the order that the speaker sees falls apart. All this father can offer is a devastating judgment. And lastly, returning to the Dante illusions that Ciardi created and, and implemented in this work, God is implicitly watching the speaker from a realm called Empyrean. According to classical cosmology, God exists beyond the prima mobile. It's a domain called Empyrean, which is the highest level of heaven. In the end of Dante's Divine Comedy, Beatrice accompanies Dante to see Empyrean, and they get a glimpse of the unending glory of God and heaven. Now, my favorite depiction of Empyrean was created by Gustave Dore, who created an image of Dante and Beatrice looking into a mandala of angels with a bright light in the center. In this sense, the mandala of angels, Empyrean itself, is an image of order. And when paired with this poem, it's a statement that the only true order exists beyond the material world of the watch and in God's domain in the Empyrean. Overall, this poem is an interesting take on the hero's journey. In some sense, it's a failed hero's journey that has both Freudian and Nietzschean elements to it. In stanza one, the narrator exists in a dream. He comes to consciousness in a surreal world, and he meets a guide, 
an old man who attempted to help him understand the nature of his reality. Essentially, a man who needed to be the narrator's version of Virgil, the person that guided Dante through Inferno in in Dante's comedic, successful hero's journey. A journey that started in tragedy and ended in comedy, started in hell and ended in heaven. But in the case of this poem, the wise old man was not wise enough and his exploration was too reckless. He believes that what he's observing is infinite order, but in the end he uncovers a chaotic world that absolutely obliterates his worldview. The speaker watches his worldview come apart and watches his mentor die. And in the end, he finds himself in the center of the mandala, beneath the swords of the father's judgment. And all this a father figure does for him is look down and frown. The narrative tells a story of wisdom, of the wisdom of the past being utterly destroyed. In addition to the poem's Freudian elements, it invokes a concept that Friedrich Nietzsche alluded to when he talked about the death of God. Nietzsche claimed that the scientific explorations of our society expected to uncover a corporeal, objective God, and instead they recklessly discovered that the models that mathematicians like Ptolemy created were completely wrong. Once this discovery was made, we couldn't turn back, and thus collapsed collapsed the psychological, mythological world we believed in. To put this concept in the metaphor that the poem laid out, Nietzsche believed that in destroying Christianity, we smashed our father's watch, and yet we would tragically continue to wear the watch and fruitlessly try to use it to tell time. To put it in Nietzsche's own words, God is dead, but considering the state that the species of man is in, there will perhaps be caves for ages yet in which his shadow will be shown. And finally, in this tragedy, the speaker will never find the Empyrean beyond the world of dead gods and pathological superegos. The speaker will live as a mere mortal, crushed by the judgment of a god whose world collapsed. In this analysis, Nietzsche would say that the speaker's only hope would be to leave the watch, to separate himself from this world to forsake Empyrean, and to live in the mountains amongst the Hyperborean giants, far away from the morality and the wrath of gods. Okay, this has been another episode of the Logos Soup Daily Podcast. Tomorrow I'll be doing a gospel analysis. I'll be analyzing and discussing the three readings in Catholic Mass that will talk about Jesus's transfiguration. Thank you for listening.